This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I feel like this message is um, incredibly important. Uh, Similar to last week, I believe it's important because there's so many people that misunderstand or take certain things out of context. Um, And it leads them to a theological or doctrinal stance that's actually very unbiblical. But yet they're convinced that that's what it means, therefore they have to stay in that particular thought. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you've come into this particular verse with a preconceived idea or certain theology about this verse, I want you to drop your theology this morning. And I want you to hear it with an open heart. Sometimes we can't hear what God is saying because we've already made up our mind on what God has said. Right? And so I want you to open your hearts today. Um, I don't know if you guys knew this, but on Tuesday is the National Teachers Day in Vietnam. And so in honor of all of our Vietnamese teachers, which we don't have one, um, I would like to say a very simple statement this morning uh, that is going to set me up for the entire message. Grammar is very important. And all those in teachers' college at Queen's said, thank you. Grammar is very important. If you get your grammar wrong, you will understand a lot of things wrong. Um, in a lot of ways. So grammar, just so you know, it's very simply the study of the classes of words, their inflections, their functions, and their relations in a sentence. For those that are school teachers, you just said, wow, the pastor just talked about English. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I know. I want to be in your will. Anyhow, okay. Um, But in a biblical context, the word that we use to almost define this kind of grammatical journey is what's called hermeneutics. So for those that have ever been around Bible college, as soon as you hear that word, you're going to be like, oh yeah, I I know what that's all about, and here we go. But hermeneutics is simply the science of studying and interpreting the Bible. It takes into consideration the language, the grammar, the etymology, which is the study of the origin of words. So this is what hermeneutics is all about. And today's verse is going to all be about hermeneutics, because when people get the hermeneutics of this verse wrong, they misinterpret it, and they actually start to create a doctrine and a theology that is so against the very heart of God, okay? So can we track together? There's, um, there's a ministry called Planted in Christ Ministries, and I, I loved this quote, so I'm just going to read it to you this morning. It says this, thoughts are expressed through words, and words are the building blocks of sentences. To determine God's thoughts, we need to study his words and how they are associated in sentences. If we neglect the meanings of words and how they are used, we have no way of knowing whose interpretations are correct. Okay, so we have to understand this. I'm going to give you a prime example of how this works. Let's put up sentence number one. No more violence. Say after me, no more violence. violence. Sentence number two. No more violence. (laughs) Say it after me. No. All right. You know what? The same three words were used. The same exclamation mark was used. We just threw in a little comma. Oops, changed the whole thing. And this is what happens with Scripture. 
And there's grammatical errors that we don't understand from the original Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic that when not translated properly, even in your Bibles that you take everywhere, there's many, I don't want to say errors, but there's certain issues in translation that will miss the point. So that's why it's so important that you go back and actually look at what the original words and the original grammar said. Okay? For those that are real keen, buy an interlinear Bible. Okay? If those that are real keen, get a Greek and Hebrew lexicon. Those are real keen people. Okay? But they're going to show you things. Okay? So with this whole grammatical context in mind, let's read our key verse today, but I'm going to read it in two different versions. One of them shows you where the errors are, and one of them is going to show you uh, a more appropriate translation. Okay? Uh, I'm not going to say which one yet. You'll figure it out. Romans 8.28, in the New Revised Standard Version, it says this. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. How many have ever heard this verse? It's a good verse. Many of us use it for many different reasons. Most of the reasons we use it for are actually unscriptural. Oops, just said it. Okay, moving right along. Romans 8.28, in the NIV, it says, And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Two different versions, two different inflections, two different emphases, and as a result, two different interpretations. The reason people take this verse out of context at its root issue is because of grammatical error. Okay? So, are you okay if we do a little bit of a grammar lesson this morning? All right, and Chris, Leith, you can correct me if I'm wrong, all right? It's great having teachers in here because then I feel a little bit more pressure. Because if I, if I get it wrong, um, just don't say that I got it wrong, okay? Um, thank you. All right, there's no manipulation involved, 20 bucks. All right, okay, that's good. So I'm going to give you a very basic sentence that has a lot of meaning in my life, and I'll explain it when, I, when it comes up here. Ready? Here's the sentence. The dog bit the boy. Now, I wanted to use this as a sentence because I am personally in the Guinness Book of World Records. You can look it up for the child that was bitten by a dog most often in his life. Every dog that I've ever seen has bit me. So if I'm ever at your house and you have a dog and I seem a little nervous, a little hesitant, a little unsure, and you'd say, well, my dog's small, they're the worst. They are the yappiest, nippiest little things I've ever seen. They always find a way of biting my finger, my ankle, my toe. It doesn't matter. They find a way. I have personally been dragged by a Doberman pincer 10 feet. I have personally been attacked by four dogs all at the same time while working for a water bottle company. And I thought I was going to die. If you've never been attacked by four, attacked by four dogs at the same time, you'll never know what it feels like. But in that moment... Every memory flashed through my mind. And I thought, Lord, you know, I would rather die a martyr, but if this is what you want from me, Lord, just make sure that whoever tells the story tells it really big. That they said the guy went down in a blaze of glory. That's what I'm looking for, Lord. You know, I, I told my dad that. He, my dad's at heart surgery. I said, Dad, come up with some crazy story like you were in Vietnam. Like just, and you saved like an old lady walking in front of a mortar. Something, just come up with something. But this sentence has meaning for me. I just wanted to let you know. So the dog bit the boy. So there's two different things I want to explain to you in grammar. 
that will set you up to understand this verse. Some of you will hear this and go, I have no idea what he's talking about. That's okay. But I hope over time it sits, it's kind of seeps in and sits into your thinking. The first thing is this. There's something called a nominative case, where the nominative case is always the subject of the sentence. In this case, it's the dog. You can see it on the screen behind me. The object, or sorry, the subject is the one performing the action indicated by the verb. So in this case, the dog. But there's a second case called an accusative case, which is the object of the sentence, which in this case was me, a little boy that kept getting bit by every dog known to man. So the object receives the action from the verb or is the one acted upon. Okay, we good? Very basic sentence, pretty simple, okay? So this concept asks us in grammar to ask a couple of key questions. And we have to ask it not just because we have an English report due tomorrow or anything like that, but we have to ask, answer these questions in order to understand. The key is interpretation and understanding. So here's the questions we have to ask ourselves when looking at these two different cases. Who is doing what to whom? When you're pastoring, you've got to figure out who's doing what to whom so you can give some wisdom. If not, you're going to look really foolish, right? Who is giving the action and who is receiving it? How many of you ever remember the board game called Clue? I know this is dating me, but remember the board game called Clue? Mr. White with the candlestick in the boardroom. You know, you know what I'm saying? All those who still have the board game at home, raise your hands and say amen. Okay, here we go. I do. All right. Yeah, let's have like a tournament later on today and we'll all play. It's awesome. All right. So who are we, whose house are we coming over? Are we coming over to the Menard Ranch? Okay, Menard Ranch, game of clue, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's fight to the death. Just like some people play the game of risk. It's death by the end. Okay. But you have to understand when you understand grammar in this context, you start to interpret things or understand things the right way. So let's go back to our two key verses, the one verse but two different translations. Let's look at the New Revised Standard Version. It says this, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. The NIV version says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So, if this verse is a nominative case, then it's God works all things. And the New American Standard Bible says God causes all things. So if that's our understanding of it, then it's God is causing everything. Are we good? Okay. But if it's the accusative case, then in all things works God. It's a very different interpretation. It means it doesn't matter what the situation, God's at work in it for your benefit. Okay? So the issue here is where is the emphasis placed or where is the inflection in grammar placed in order to understand this concept? So I'm going to go a little bit further with grammar. Just track with me and then I'm going to explain it. When you look at the grammar of the Greek words for all things and the Greek word for work together, you begin to see something very interesting. The concept of work together is mentioned five times, and in every scenario, it is actually an intransitive verb. It's an intransitive verb. It's not a transitive verb, and if you know your grammar, you can look it up and you can figure all that out, but I'm going to explain it to you. A transitive verb always asks the question of what. 
So if this verse was written the way the New Revised Standard was written, and it means that God is doing the what? But the intransitive verb means that God is answering the question of how. So not what. So it means he's not doing everything, but he is how. He is working in everything for your benefit. It's a very different way of looking at it. Okay? So if we were to go back to this whole concept, Romans 8, 28, and we know NIV is actually the best interpretation of this verse. And it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So what is this verse then not saying? There's three key things that this verse is not saying that many people think it says, but it's not saying it. Number one is that everything good or bad must be God's will. How many have ever been in a situation, you're going through something bad, and the only thing you can ask is, you must say, well, this must be God's will for my life. If we're all being honest, we've all done it at one point, okay? So I've seen people that claim a sinful situation is what God is using and his God is willing in his life in order to bring a good situation around from this. I had this, this is going to sound really funny, but I've heard this from people. I know somebody that did something very bad to somebody, assaulted an individual, was in jail for 10 years. And as a result of him being in jail for 10 years, there was a lot of people that came to Christ because he came to Christ in jail. And then he led a number of people to Christ. And his response to me was, well, it was God's will that I assaulted that person. And I go, ah, no. It wasn't God's will that you assaulted that person. God did not answer the issue of what, but God is working on your behalf to turn around any bad situation for good. Okay? I've seen people that justify every choice they've ever made in order to say, well, you know, God's used, turning it around, therefore it must have been God's will. No, 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 no. Can I give you Parenting 101? Every child has tried it. Multiple times. All the time. That's what they try. They try to turn it around. Okay? So you have to understand that if we understand everything is part of God's plan, that whatever happens in our mindset must be God's will. Okay? God does not orchestrate bad things in order to turn them into good things in the end. Okay? If we credit God with every bad thing that's ever happened in our life, then we're really making him out to be the author of evil. But he's not. Okay? So here's a very simple thought. Don't call bad things good things. Call bad things bad things. Wow, that was so deep. Aren't you just so excited that you came here this morning just to hear that? Ah, wow. So I'm going to go one step further with this thought. Don't pretend that bad things are good things. God doesn't create bad things, but he can turn bad things around. Okay. Does God allow hardships in our life? Well, yes. Do we set ourselves up for hardship in our life? Well, yes. Right? But listen to this. Do bad things happen that are outside of God's will that grieve him? Yes. Okay? All the pain and brokenness that we see in the world is out of step with God's ultimate plan. God's ultimate plan is to redeem, to restore, 
to heal everything that we and the enemy have co-labored together to break apart. We good? All right. Thought number two. That your suffering is somehow pleasing to God. All right, I just stepped on toes. I can feel it. Woo! All right. Sometimes people think that God has put some sort of sickness on us to teach us a lesson. And my answer to those people that say that is, would you ever do that to your children? And people look at me like, well, of course not. How much more loving is God than us? God does not use Satan's tools to do his work. God uses his tools to do his work. And they're far better. And far better at accomplishing what you need to see accomplished. Does that make sense? Some people even go as far as to say that God will use these bad things in my life in order to bring future blessing. So they justify staying in that place because at one point I'm going to get blessed. No. That's not what God wants for you. Amen? So this verse does not mean that God is behind our suffering. It does not mean that suffering is a good thing. It does not mean that we should make it out to be more spiritual than we should. Some people over-spiritualize suffering. Okay? But do you know what it does mean? That suffering does not have the final word. Suffering does not have the final word. Some of our suffering is as a result of the law of sowing and reaping. That alone is enough for me to be scared of doing wrong things. And that's not meant to be heavy this morning. But you have to understand that sometimes we experience things simply because we have sowed it and now we are reaping it. But you know what God is really good at? Crop failure. He has a way of eliminating your crop that has been sown with bad seed, it's called the cross. The cross is the ultimate crop buster in the world. You come to the cross, the crop is done. Okay? That's good. That's a good point. Thank you. All right. I don't know if you guys remember this, but about two years ago, Sandra had an accident and hurt her shoulder. And for those that are on the worship team would know that for the last two years, she hasn't really been able to carry the piano or get her stuff set up or even help lift or do anything. And, and when that happened, just so you guys know, um, what happened was it was a, a day where Sandra was out and Abby came right in front of her and she tripped over Abby, fell down and hurt her shoulder, hit her shoulder. And she basically has had shoulder tendonitis, although she's in a much better, awesome place now. It's pretty much gone, which is awesome. But we had a couple people, thankfully not from here. One person came up to us and said, well, it's because of sin in Sandra's life. And then another person who, in all their wisdom, came and said, well, it's a generational curse on your life. And our response was, no, she tripped over Abby. (laughs) People who land in the first definition of Romans 8.28 do everything they can to have an answer of why. And if they don't have an answer why, they're going to come up with an answer why in order to fit their own wrong theology. Draw my... Drop the mic right there. That was a good point. All right. Okay. Some of our suffering is as a result, not just of the law of sowing and reaping, but of a fallen world. You know what I've gotten really comfortable with? 
not having the pressure or having pressure internally to answer everyone's questions. I'm so free of that. Sometimes I'll just look at someone and say, I have no idea, but that's a question I want to get an answer to when I get to heaven too. I don't know. But you know what I do know? In all things, God is doing overtime to help me out and to bring me to the right place. That's all I know. Can I say something this morning? No matter what, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you're at, and no matter what's going on in your life, God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. And that's what he wants to do for you. He wants to take the place of suffering and turn it into a breakthrough. But he didn't will the suffering. The only thing we're promised scripturally suffering-wise is persecution. And actually, to me, that excites me. Because it means that I'm known in the enemy's enemy's war room. That's cool. (laughs) The fact that the enemy's scared of us. Woo! I get excited about that. Where other people are like, um, you know, maybe you can just deal with Pastor Cam, and, and uh, you know, I just want to be left alone over here. Please don't bother me. But you have to understand, persecution is an honor. Because it means we're perfectly aligned with doing the work of the kingdom. Because if we weren't getting any kind of pushback on the work of the kingdom, then this whole world would look too much like the kingdom. But it doesn't. Right? All right. Acts 10.38, one of my favorite verses of all time. You should highlight this, underline it, uh, put it in your mirror in your bathroom. I honestly, it's a go-to for me all the time. Acts 10.38 says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So just so in case we didn't miss it, he just didn't say, you know, God anointed, God put his presence on Jesus. But then he goes a little step further and says, yeah, with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing what? Oh, does he do bad things? No, he's doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We have to sometimes understand who's on what side and what each side is doing, right? How many have ever had a conflict with a person, but because nothing's ever been verbalized, you have no idea where they're coming from, and you have no idea where they're coming from. And you're like, what's going on? God is setting it up very clearly here to have us know exactly what the rules of this game are and who's on what side, okay? Number three, here's another thought that's off. That everything is going to turn out good if you love God. And here's my response to that. That doesn't even work for God. Right? God wants everyone to be saved, but does that mean everyone gets saved? That breaks his heart. God wants everyone to love and obey him, but does everyone love and obey him? So it doesn't even work for God. So I want you to understand, if it's not going to work for God, it's not going to work for you. But that's not the point of the verse. The point of the verse is that God doesn't turn every situation and make it perfectly good. It's that he's working on behalf of you to do what? And we're going to get there in a second. I'm actually going to give this incredible context around verse 27 and verse 29 that packages this theme perfectly together. Okay? The reality is, if we can be honest this morning, the earth is a war zone, not just politically. Not just economically, not just relationally. The earth is a spiritual war zone. Okay? There are evil forces fighting against the plan and purposes of God. It's the reality. The devil, his minions called demons, and humanity are doing everything they can to break God's moral will. 
and to live against God's moral will. But what is God doing in the midst of it? It's very simple. God is actively stepping in to undo humanity's destruction and to fix the mess that we and the enemy have created. That's his heart. Think about Joseph for a second. Joseph comes to his brothers and tells a supernatural dream of what God is going to do. Powerful dream. Prophetic. Awesome. And his brothers throw him into a pit while Joseph was doing the right thing. He gets to Potiphar's house. He's in Potiphar's house and he's working hard. And Potiphar's wife took took a little liking to Joseph. Tried to connect with Joseph in a sexual manner. Joseph rebutted it and he ran away. She grabbed a piece of his clothing. She makes up some crazy story. Joseph ends up in prison. All the while doing the right thing. But you have to understand, for Joseph, it was the pit and the prison that prepared him for the palace. God wants you to have a bigger perspective of where you're at and what you're going through. Okay? Not everything that happens is God's will. But in everything that happens, God is working for the good of those who love him. Amen? Why? Because it's in accordance with his nature. It's who he is. He's a good, good father. He's looking out for his kids. But let's look at this whole thing in context, and we're going to come into an end. Romans 8, verse 27 says this, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, intercedes or is praying for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So you have to understand, step one is that the Holy Spirit is partnering with you. Then comes verse 28, and we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So not only is God the Holy Spirit partnering with you, now God the Father is partnering with you. To do what? Verse 29 gives it all away. I love this. I love how the Bible is. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his Son. The Holy Spirit partners with you. God the Father partners with you so that you can live like, love like, act like, talk like Jesus, his Son. It's to be conformed to the image of God. Sometimes I've I've understood hardships and difficulties in a very unique way. I've understood it like this. Compassion often is as a result of a perspective that we will never have if our life is perfect. Compassion is what wells up in our heart to minister to people who are in a mess. God is working for the good of those who love him. So if you're going through a difficult situation today, I want you to do a couple of things. I'm going to invite uh, Sandra and Ray actually to come up. Ask yourself a couple of questions. Number one, do you love them? It's the first question. Do you love them? Two, are you putting them first? Is he first place in your life? Number three, are you responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Is that what you're doing? Number four, is your desire to be conformed to the image of Christ? And if so, God is working with you, and God is working for you. 
you know what I've gotten really comfortable with? I may not ever know the answer why to some situations, and I'm okay with that. But I'm always looking to the one who is the answer. Jesus is enough. I just wanted to share um, just a, a concept I came across. And interns, you'll, uh, you'll recognize this, but it's actually in uh, studying the Old Testament, in particular Job. <laughs> and uh, I found this quote, and I thought it fits so well. It talks about having security but not having certainty. And I'll explain it like this. A lot of people, a lot of Christians, want the certainty and the guarantee that God, if I do this for you, then you'll make sure that nothing challenging, bad, or difficult ever happens to me, right? So we want the certainty of that. But scripturally, God actually never promises full certainty, but he does promise security, that you can have the security in his character. You can have security in his promise. You can have security in his love for you, that his love for you never changes. So whether you go through good things, bad things, or anything in between, he's working with you, for you. So um, I'm going to read this quote. It says, certainty requires guarantees, something that God has not given and that Christians too often seek. We can claim no immunities from the guarantees, but on something far better, the promises of God. Thus, while we do not have any certainty or guarantee of being saved from unjust suffering, we have the far better security of God's promise of grace in Jesus Christ. Um, Hopefully, you can bear with me for just a few minutes. Um, God's been kind of unfolding a concept right from the time that we had prayer prior to service. And... um, He's kind of given me three different pictures, so I'm going to give you those three pictures, and then he's given me a couple of scriptures, and then I'm going to kind of tie it all together and un- unfold it for you, if that's okay. Um, so the three different pictures are one of the Titanic in the middle of the ocean. One is a picture uh, that he immediately then showed me, Peter uh, and Jesus, when Peter was, was starting to drown. He was trying to walk on water, and he started to drown. Um, and he called out to Christ, and Christ reached down and, and saved him and pulled him out. And then the third picture is of the Brooklyn Bridge. And um, the scriptures that I want to read first, and I'm going to read the scriptures first, and then I'm going to unfold what I believe God is saying that those pictures mean, um, is this. In First Timothy 4 and 16, it says that we are to watch our life and doctrine closely. We are to persevere in them, because if we do, we will save both ourselves and our hearers. Um, and the sec- second scripture I want to read is this. Um, it's Romans 10 and 17, or yeah, 10 and 17. It says this, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I just want to start to unfold this then. So the concept of the Titanic in the middle of the ocean, I feel like God is saying that it is representative of the world. And on that that Titanic, in the world, there are those who, who think they are unsinkable. And there are those on that ship who know they're not, and they're going to scramble for the lifeboats when it starts to sink. And, and also, too, there's this concept of um, the Titanic being adrift. And in the picture, I just saw um, the anchor being thrown over the side by those who believed and those who understood that the Titanic could sink. And they threw out this, this anchor, and that anchor represents Jesus Christ, which is an anchor for our hope. It's an anchor of our salvation, correct? 
Um, and then the picture of, of Peter drowning and Jesus Christ reaching out to him, it was tied into the fact that Peter was a Christian and he was trying to walk by faith. And he said, Jesus, if this is you, call me and I will come to you. And, and he had faith in the beginning. And then when he started to walk, he started to sink. And in the moment that he recognized that he was sinkable was when his faith grabbed a hold of, of Jesus Christ, which is Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, right? So Peter grabbed a hold through faith, hearing the word of Jesus speak to him, come to me. He grabbed a hold of the word of God. He grabbed a hold of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And when he was sinking, because of his faith grabbing a hold of that, Jesus Christ saved him. The concept of the Brooklyn Bridge, I was trying to figure out, God, what in the world is that? And two things. So one, he said the Brooklyn Bridge is a bridge between two communities. So it's the city of New York, and then it's the city of Brooklyn. And that Brooklyn Bridge connects the two. And he said that that Brooklyn Bridge is symbolizing the concept of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. And it, the bridge is Jesus Christ, and it's what we cross on. It's the faith that we cross on, um, and it's the word of God, that when we hear the word of God. So in this scripture, when it says that, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's not hearing audibly the word of God. It's hearing the word of God. And when we hear the word of God, when we take it into our hearts, that's what increases our faith, that we can actually grab a hold of the word. And the word, the sound, that's why you have to watch your life and your, your doctrine closely. So this whole, con this whole series, I believe that God's sharing this with me today and wanting to share it with you because he's wanting you to grasp the importance of understanding sound doctrine because it's what's going to save you from sinking. Does that make sense? And can I say to you today, if you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ and you think you are unsinkable, that God is wanting to relay to you, no, you are sinkable, but I have given you an anchor. I have given you the word of God. It's now, Jesus Christ is now in heaven, so he's in another community, but he has given us the bridge. He's given us the word of God so that our faith can enact with that and we can connect in with the, with the kingdom of God here on earth. Amen. And we can be saved. Let's just stand together this morning. Gone a couple minutes over, but hopefully you guys will forgive me for that. Um, I want to say this, not, not to put a heavy revy kind of a, or a heavy on, on the end of this message, but I, I do think God is warning us. Um, one thing I've realized being in relationship uh, as a pastoral team, I know when God's speaking to one of us, and Ray has been marinating all morning, um, and I know it's a word from the Lord. Um, interestingly, in Scripture, whenever the Bible talks about the end of the earth or the end times, it often talks about um, how... Not only is it the love of many that grow cold, but it actually talks about the warnings against false teachers and false doctrine. It actually addresses that issue more than any other issue. It's the thing that it tells the church, wake up and don't be duped by things that sound right but are not. All of that is true-ish, as I did a series years ago on. You have to understand if there's anything I would want to say to you from your pastor to you guys, get into the Word. 
make it a part of everyday life. Get into a reading, a Bible reading plan. Get into some sort of devotional. Find a way to stay in the Word. Get on BibleGateway.com. Go to BlueLetterBible.org. Do whatever you've got to do to find those things out. You don't have an answer. It's okay. There's people that do. Ask those people that maybe know those answers or know those things. Because we are living in a day and age where the enemy's goal is to deceive you. The enemy's goal is to make you celebrate what God does not celebrate. Is to make you like on Facebook what Jesus would never like on Facebook. Is to track with a theology that is so mixed with so many different things that it's actually not doctrinally pure, but it's just mixture. It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that mixed in with a little bit of culture, and that must fit because Jesus is loving, right? So that has to fit. No, that's not how it works. The Word is the anchor. Not our opinion. Not our feelings. It's the Word that is the anchor for our souls. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 